Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm Troy Richards, the senior pastor here at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri. I'm joined by our worship pastor, Daniel Mawson, and we're glad you decided to join us today. This podcast was created to show how all of God's Word leads us to a better understanding of Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior and Lord. Our church is working through a reading plan to read the entire Bible in a year, and each week we invite people to share what insights they've learned and what the Holy Spirit has revealed through the reading of God's Word. We'll also address some questions, some serious, some that are a lot of fun to talk about, all from this week's reading. And we pray that you will see how amazing the Bible is to read each and every day. And by us sharing some of our highlights, we hope you will be inspired to read it for yourself. You can find our reading plan and read along with us at www.firstbaptistjackson.com. Well, welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. This is week four, and this week we are uh, joined again by George Terry. We have prayed and meditated, and we have invited him back. We're very excited to do this again. Um, This week we're going over Exodus chapters 1 through 16, Psalms chapter 15 uh, through 18, Proverbs 4 through, or 425 through 615, and Matthew chapter 17 through 21. So again, if you have to pause your podcast to go do some speed reading, now's the time to do so. Or if you want to cheat and just listen to the next 40 so minutes. It's kind of like the Cliff's Notes version of the Bible. The Cliff Notes version of the Bible, yes. Um, so... Yeah, we're about to we're about to get into it. George, welcome back. Oh, thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah, good, good, good. Wore the same outfit. I figured it'd be lucky. Same outfit. <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't know how podcasts a lot of times go, we have opted to record several in a row and release them weekly for your consumption. So, okay. Do we want to jump into it? Well, this week we looked at the beginning of Exodus, and so uh, you've got Moses. Uh, that is, he's you know when you if you've ever watched the Ten Commandments. And you have this idea of all this backstory of Moses. And then you actually read in the book of Exodus. You're talking about a little bit of a chapter (laughs) that they took an entire movie and expanded it out uh, for all this amazing backstory of him having chariot races with his stepbrother, you know, and and this, uh, you know, and all these different events with with Ramses and and being in Egypt and so forth. And really it just comes down to it shows that uh, Pharaoh is uh, becoming – uh, desperate because of um, the the number of, of Hebrew people. Uh, hist- historically, it looks like that uh, it really Egypt changed uh, power families. Uh, the the dynasty that was there when Joseph came into power was displaced. A new dynasty took over. And as a result, they did not have a favorable uh, outlook on the Hebrew people, began to see them as a threat, enslaved them, uh, and uh, and we know that they began killing them off, uh, uh, asked the midwives to kill all the young children and so forth, and and they refused to do so, um, and God blessed them as a result of refusing to do so. But then they had every boy born to the Hebrews thrown into the river, and so in an effort to spare their son, uh, Amram and Jochebed, uh, they took their son and put him in a basket and floated him down the river, and and uh, and then the Pharaoh's daughter saw him. Uh, Miriam, his sister, kind of made sure that uh, – 
she recommended her mother to be his nurse. And so, uh, and that's how Moses got into the Egyptian family. But that's it. That's all you get. That you get that little, and he was there, and then he sees an Egyptian being murdered and intervenes. Then he finds out that uh, that becomes known. He tries to hide the body in the sand, becomes known he's a murderer, and he, uh, Pharaoh's going to try to kill him, so he flees for his life. So that's that's all that's all we get from that whole story. But it is, if you have only watched the movies, Ten Commandments, Prince of Egypt, and there was a new one that came out not too long ago. Um, At Gods versus Gods and Kings. Gods and Kings. It wasn't very good. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. But the um, Prince of Egypt was better. Uh, yes. Yeah. So if that's all, you, if that's all you're going on, though, you would do yourself a service to go back and read Exodus, and we are all the way through chapter 16. Uh, and in the story, and you know, the other crazy part is here we are getting into February and we haven't finished Matthew yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is where, you know, when I would just start reading on my own and really not, uh, it'd be like, ah, this is going to take forever. I haven't got through one, I'm a month in, I haven't got through one book, but Matthew's very long, uh, in consideration of New Testament books and it will really begin to accelerate later. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, but we are, we are getting deeper into Matthew this week. So George, what'd you what'd you come up with this week? All right. Well, um, for those of you who've been reading along with us, the Exodus or the fact that they were stuck in Egypt and into Exodus shouldn't have been a surprise because if you remember back when God was talking to Abraham, He said your descendants are going to be in Egypt oppressed for 400 years while I deal with the Amorites. And so uh, God was being merciful to the Amorites, you know, giving them time to repent. Uh, but we see at the end that they did not, and there's even some bonus years while the Israelites wandered in the wilderness. Um, for them to repent, they still did not. And so uh, when God later would command the Israelites to wipe them out, he had given them plenty of time to repent, and he is merciful to them. But uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, and Joseph, they all knew that Israel was going to be oppressed in Egypt for this length of time. And so to those who are paying attention to things, they realize that, hey, um, our, our um, deliverer should be coming about soon. And so you know, they're, they're looking for the one who would deliver them um, in the same way. In Matthew, we get to the triumphal entry, and uh, the time of Jesus' coming was predicted back in Ezekiel, that it gave the time when the Messiah would come. And uh, when Jesus looked upon the city, he said, you know, he wept over them because they should have known uh, their day, but they didn't recognize it. And so, but to anyone who was looking, um, the Messiah to the, the Jews back then, and Moses, and the ultimate Messiah to all of us, Jesus, they came at just the right time when God had promised that they would. And so, um, you know, we, this is, Moses is one of the stories that we've seen a lot, um, that we were taught when we were kids and things. Um, and so there's a lot of things, you know, but it's, inter it's interesting to go back and to look at all again. And one of the things that I didn't realize that, uh, uh, or that I missed was that, uh, it was Aaron who did a lot of the speaking for Moses and that it was uh, his staff that was actually, uh, performed some of the miracles. But, um, I just really liked that, uh, also, Abraham was, or sorry, uh, Moses was 80 years old when he went to Pharaoh. If you watch the Ten Commandments, he's, uh, it's a Charlton Heston, and he's still rather young. He's got, of course, the, the white beard, because when you see the face of God, your beard turns white. Um, but anyway, everybody knows that. That's, yeah. a, that's a given. He, he's Even 80 today. years old at this time. Yeah. And Apparently, so, I have also seen the face of God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm becoming Elisha. Uh, <laughs> so we'll get to his story later. And so, uh, just the fact that, uh, you know, once 
you, like I'm, I just turned 30 um, last month, and it feels like, oh, my life is over. I'm so old. Oh, but, uh, you know, God waited till Moses was 80 to send him back uh, to If you put you and Egypt, me together, yes. we have Moses. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> And so uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how old you are. God can still use you. It doesn't matter how young you are, as we'll see in Kings. That, uh, yeah. like Josiah, God used uh, extremely, extremely young, and extremely old uh, to serve Him to His purpose. And so it's never too late. It's never too early to be used by God. That's good. That's good stuff, man. Yeah. Wow. I just we just have George just. Uh, we don't <laughs> have to read it. We just uh, give me the synopsis. That's right. That'd be, that would be easier. So what about the New Testament? Did you pull anything from there? Uh, well, the Transfiguration, I've always liked, especially um, that Elijah appears there. Well, Moses, you know, it's, we're talking about Moses, and there he is in the New Testament. But also Elijah, uh, when we last see him, remember he had defeated the prophets and, at Mount Carmel, and he went down and he wiped out 400 prophets, and then Jezebel put a death warrant out for him. And he fled. You know, he was afraid. After this great victory, he was afraid. And God took him to the mountain and spoke to him there. And he said, go anoint uh, this man king. Go do this. Go do that. And then go find uh, your successor. And so in the eyes of the world, to be like, oh, Elijah, uh, you've messed up. God is through with you. He's done. But Elijah's greatest ministry was yet to come. And that was uh, declaring who Christ was. Because Peter said, hey, Jesus, there's Moses. There's Elijah. There's you. Let's build tabernacles, one for each of you. Like uh, they they were equal, but then uh, there was a voice saying, no, this is my only son, and that Elijah and Moses left, and then there was just Jesus uh, that was before him. And so I just always liked that story because there's uh, some redemption for Elijah there that his greatest ministry is yet to come, even though everybody else look at him and say, oh, he was a failure. But then also uh, showing that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets as those two represent. And also redemption for Moses because he didn't get to go into oh, the yeah. promised land. And then there he is in the promised land, you know, and, and a, a fulfillment it, it, through Christ. Yeah. Dan, do you have anything? Yeah, sure. Um Back in Exodus, um, this is this is a. You mentioned that you're studying Hebrew right now, so uh-huh. it's a personal thing for me. I'm, I'm not studying Hebrew, but I am reading this book, um, and I'm not endorsing the book. I haven't finished it. It's it's just what I'm reading right now. But it's uh, it's called God Has a Name by uh, John Mark Comer, and um, it just centers around God's name of um, the I Am, you mm-hmm. know, and and uh, so we we read here where in that section where Moses is um, coming up to the burning bush and he asks God you know what if the israelites ask me who's talking to me and God says which by the way they never do they never ask Moses what the name of the god is that's he asked for his own sake um but God God gives it to him and it says he doesn't say Yahweh he says um Ehia or maybe you have a you'd have off hey yeah yeah um, Yahweh Jehovah and uh and that's um, it's interesting because Yahweh means um, He is, but God's name um, Echia or whatever, however you pronounce it, is um, I am. Mm-hmm. And so even our name for God Yahweh is is not what He called Himself, uh, but it's mm-hmm. it's just a it's a, a projection of of um, He um, He and and even the different translators. There's a there's a theologian whose name I'm going to butcher, but attempt anyway. It's Trigiv N.D. Mettinger, and um, he wrote a book that was translated into English, um, and um, he just he has the observation that the I am can also be translated I am he who is, um, mm-hmm. or I am that who uh, that I am, and 
um, just a just a just picture of God that we um, that we see even as we get into the plagues. Like God is the God, the Elohim that um, is the ruler of all of them. Um, and even further, when they when we're talking about the plagues um, throughout the reading. Uh, every plague is like a judgment on the different gods of the Egyptians. You know, you've got the striking of the sun um, of, of Ra, and you've got the striking of the river, and, um, you know, health and all these different gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And one by one, they're systematically eradicated and proven that God was mightier then. Um, and we know that um, from elsewhere in Scripture that these weren't just um, made-up entities by Egyptians. They were, in fact, other um, lesser Elohim or angels or demons, whatever you want to call them, um, that, that existed and that have certain you know, power and authority over different areas of land. And, um, and it's just awesome that God first says, I am the one, the one God, and then systematically eradicates the power of all the other ones um, yeah. in combat and Moses and we know that they have real power because the magicians were able to turn their sticks into snakes and turn the water into blood yeah. and cause boils and um, there was one that they, they weren't able to do the locust thing for some reason um, right. but they they got stopped so their their power was even or the blood no they could the blood the, they, they could do the boils because they themselves had boils they themselves them. had boils yeah. that's right um, so God got more and more aggressive yeah. in his in his attacks against the other lesser rulers. Um, so I don't know. I love this section uh, because it's just spiritual warfare and it's, and it's not even warfare. It's just a hostile takeover moment. Yeah. Um, those gods were never removed from Egypt. They were just proven inferior. Yeah. Um, so I love that. Um, and then in, uh, in the new Testament, Matthew, um, in seven seventeen twenty. Um, it's the faith like a mustard seed moment, um, you know, and um, the disciples are asking, hey, hey, God, hey, Jesus, why weren't we able to cast out this demon? And Jesus says, uh, well, it's because you didn't have faith, you dummies. And they um, and then he goes on to say other things. But he says, you know, with faith like a mustard seed, you can do, you can you can say this mountain, you know, go into the ocean and it'll do that. And and like we mentioned last week, like um how when you read in snippets, you get a little bit, but when you read it in narrative, you get a lot. Um, and um, when you read it in, in the portion that we did, you, we also see that in 13, chapter 13 in Matthew, Jesus mentioned the mustard seed for the first time when he said that um, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who plants a mustard seed and a giant tree comes up. And so it goes from talking about faith, you know, our, our faith as a means of security and rest to a means of power um, that we have. And it's just cool to watch the progression over the course of reading larger sections. Um, so. I was looking, I had to look up. The, um, <laughs> so they did the blood, they did the frogs, it was the gnats. The gnats. And once they couldn't produce the gnats, I don't think, I think they didn't. They weren't able to do anything past that. Uh, and and yeah. they couldn't appear before Moses because of the boils, because they themselves had boils, yeah, right. and so they didn't even know, they didn't even show up. At that yeah, they were trying to pronounce the G in gnats, and that's the why gnats. they just... That's what trips them up. Like yeah. In the like Hebrew, the it's easier. <laughs> <laughs> Egyptian, it's much harder. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and which begs the question: Why would anyone want to produce nets? Produce nets. <laughs> why would you learn that skill <laughs> that's right. in school? Exactly. Yeah. In magician so, school. In magician school. That's which right. again we proves, the chapter, yeah. it proves again that the Prince of Egypt is the superior Moses movie because mm -hmm. it's got the song that yes. helps you remember all of With, the different uh, gods. See, the magicians are named later. It's 
Hophni and Phineas. Now Phineas yeah. and Ferb, Hophni <laughs> and Phineas. Yeah. Uh, uh, another dynamic yes. duo. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And the song with the uh, with the plagues and the Prince of Egypt oh, is, is great. It's killer. Yes. Mm. I mean, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. That's probably poor choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Good times. Good, good times. times. <laughs> Thinking back on the plagues. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we do in our fun time. Those listening, yeah. you listen to podcasts, we reminisce on plagues. I always, you know, when I would always read the plagues, I would always, because I would get this thing in my mind, is like, once the river turns to blood, doesn't everything, <laughs> and everything dies, it's like, where do you go from there? It's like, it's some, it, it couldn't have been as extensive as in my my mind was playing it out because it's like everything's gone. Yeah. It's like there's no more people. They're all dead. You know, it's like, it's like, you know all the gnats and flies and everything. It's like so uh, when Moses would come and pull it back, it's like is there anything left? Because then they plundered the Egyptians. So obviously there's yeah, something there's still something. there. So, um, but that's uh, it's not like a Marvel movie that starts with the little villains. <laughs> you know, you get the vulture or something and work up to Thanos. This we're just gonna wipe you out. Everything pull out all the stops and then stomp on you after that. Yeah, yeah, but just it must have been amazing to see. And then we see uh, in the New Testament where the Pharisees say, "Hey, give us a sign." <laughs> and you said, "Well, wicked adulterous generation asked for a sign. And even if he had given them a sign there, um, their ancestors." Not only were they delivered from Egypt, but then we see how God provides through them throughout the wilderness, and still they grumble and complain, and they will not go in. And so mm-hmm. even if uh, you know God came down and gave people a sign today, they say, well, if God would just come down and show us something, we'd believe. No, you wouldn't. Uh, yeah. It shows us a matter it's of been the heart. Done. Yes. <laughs> Tried that. <laughs> Tried work. that. Been there. Yes. Try. And as we said, if you wouldn't, they won't believe Moses and yeah. the, the wall, then they won't believe <laughs> you coming back from the yeah. dead. Yeah. Um, God's not going to save us. He's there in a pillar of fire. You know, he's not going to save us. All right. When we were looking at uh, when Pharaoh came to um, Moses, when Moses went to Pharaoh and was asking for the people to be set free, this is such a big moment because here you have Moses who has, he's 80 years old. He's lost his courage. You know, he had this boldness when he attacks the Egyptian and kills him and buries him in the sand and so forth and then tries to set something straight between two Hebrew men. And they're like, are you going to kill us too? And then he becomes scared. He runs, he flees. And and really his whole moment of greatness is gone. And so now he's settled to be nothing Mm -hmm. and to uh, just have a normal, simple life in the land of Midian and raising a family, uh, sheep. And then all of a sudden God shows up and says, okay, I think you're ready now. And he's like, what? You know, I'm (laughs) now I'm 80 and they're not going to hear me. He gives all these excuses. I can't talk. And, you know, and, uh, and so God, uh, overcomes all that, and so so he goes, and you and you know that this is like a uh, God has assured him that they're not wanting to the people who wanted him dead are gone, and so he's outlived those people. So he goes, but still, there's not a lot of confidence here. So he so he musters up all the strength, and he goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is like, you know what? If you guys got all this time, uh, then I'm just going to make life just a little bit more difficult for everybody, and so from now on, you're going to make bricks without straw. And uh, and when I first 
heard that, I thought they had to make the bricks without straw, but what really is saying, they had to go get the straw themselves. They were providing the straw for them. You still have to use the straw for the bricks. I just thought they were going to be sloppy bricks, <laughs> not bricks that wouldn't hold together. That's why part of the pyramids uh, are kind of falling apart. Stacking, uh, yeah, the ones that didn't make it. Uh, the, um, but, but they had to go get their own straw. So now here you have, uh, hey guys, I'm your deliverer, life's going to be great, and you show up, and it's like, no, now life is very difficult. And it is an incredible picture of how, because the Israelites can't foresee what's going to happen. They don't know that through Pharaoh's hardness that he's going to lose his son as a result of the hardness of his heart. And they're going to, and Egypt is going to be wiped out to a great degree. Uh, they can't see all that going to transpire. All they know right now is this guy has said something, taken a stand, and now all of us are going to suffer as a result of it. And you think about how that even today in our world, uh, in our history, in the history of the church, how when people have taken a stand in the church, life didn't get better. You know, I even think in the oppression of China, you know, have pastors who will be bold enough to speak out against uh, a totalitarian government, against a government that says you can't exist, uh, and to say, no, we are, we're going to speak out. And then you go to prison or, or your church is burned down or whatever the case, uh, whatever type of oppression or suffering or difficulty you face, you, we always need to be reminded that what we are looking at now is not the complete and total picture that while we may suffer now, um, there is a there is a moment of victory that is ahead for us, and, and and so we need to simply be obedient. We just need to do what it is God told us to do, trusting that He will bring. He has always brought about the outcome that He has promised. He has always been faithful to complete the things that He has said He will do, and so that's uh, that was that was a great thing. Um, also. We have been talking about in our Caring Well training um, about church discipline, and somebody had asked in one of our meetings, uh, Matthew 18, they said, could you further explain what Matthew 18 is about? And Matthew 18, just kind of briefly, uh, kind of, uh, if, if you do the reading, you'll you'll see that it spells out church discipline for us. And uh, in what, in a nutshell, it's you go to your brother and you express that he's offended uh, you go to him with somebody else, and then if they don't repent, you bring him before the church. What happens sometimes is we don't really read that whole passage, and we try to get it set up in some like chart, like a little spreadsheet. Okay, all right, you offended me, so I'm going to go tell you, you offended me, you know. And I've even had people zealous to do that. Can I go tell them? Can I go tell them they've sinned? Please let me be the one. Let me be the one. I want to tell them they've sinned. Uh, and I'm like, you're probably not the one that needs to go. Because before that, he talks about how his little ones are precious to him. He talks about how that the angels in heaven are always looking at the Father and how they are also looking over these little ones, talking about his people in the church. He talks about a shepherd who is always aware when one of his little ones is lost and he goes after the one who's gone astray and he brings that one back. This is how he's laying this out. He's saying that I have children who are precious to me and they go astray. And the angels in heaven are watching over them and seeking their protection. And, and they are extremely important to me. And then he begins to say, this is what you need to do 
in order to be in this process of me restoring these children who have gone astray to me. When you see a brother who has gone astray, you pursue that brother and you remind him of the word. You remind him he has a father who loves him. You remind him that this is the word and, and, and to call him back home into the faith. If he refuses to respond, you take another brother with you and you go after him. And then the whole church goes after him. And he said, if at that point they refuse to come home, then then you treat them like a heathen or a publican. And what, why he throws that in there is because it, what what we need to remember is is if when we are to look at brothers and sisters in the faith, we are to lay our lives down for each other. We are to give up everything that we have. You know, if if you are without clothing, I give up my clothing to make sure you have clothing. I give up my food to make sure you have food. You know, I I share all that I have in common with you. I'm lay literally laying my life down for you. But if in an effort to get you to come into the family of God, you demonstrate you have no love for Christ, you have no desire to follow God, you have no desire to respond to his word, then I am not to throw my pearls before swine. I am not to lay that down for you because you've obviously demonstrated no level of repentance whatsoever. But we have given you every opportunity to show that you are a part of our family. If you do show that you're part of our family, then we do lay everything down. We we bend over backwards. We do everything we can. And I think what's been lost is I, I think we've we failed to realize we don't need each other. I think what's happened in the church today is is you have people who are self sufficient, and we don't. I don't need you. You don't need me. I can live my own life. When we were pastoring in the Northwest, it became really apparent that when we go visit people. Uh, they didn't want to be visited. <laughs> they were like, we'll, we'll meet with you at church, but don't come to our house. Must be millennials. Yeah, well, no, the millennials weren't born at that particular point. This is pre, pre-millennial uh, time. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a pre-millennial. Uh, <laughs> uh, we won't get into the tribulation. The, uh, but the uh, we... We would go, and, and one of the things that characteristics of homes in that area, and it's becoming more characteristics of homes everywhere, is everybody had these wooden fences around their backyard. Now, their backyards were, you could, uh, you know, reach out and touch the fence from your back door, because <laughs> the backyards are very small. But they had, we noticed that every neighborhood had these fences built up, and everybody had their own little quiet cubicle. And and even today, it's, it's just gotten worse, because you literally can get everything you need from within your home and have it delivered to your home and laid on your front porch where you never have to interact with humanity again. And and, and our world is going toward this isolationism, isolationism, and the church is also falling prey to this. In the church, we are not to be isolationists. We are to be a community of faith. We are to be a people who see, who have a respect for God's children. And so God is, Jesus is trying to give us this picture of one another that these people who you might get irritated with because they voted against you in a business meeting or somebody who's sitting in your chair when you come into the worship center or whatever, but these are people who are precious in his sight. And for you to attack that person or for you to try to take on that person with no reverence or whatever, no understanding that this is God's child, uh, he, he takes that very personally. Um, and, and so Jesus, that's why Jesus is so zealous in his defense. Why, you know, when you get this picture of him going into the temple and throwing over the money changers uh, tables or whatever, uh, it's not because of his love for the building. It's because of his love for God's people and how those people are, are taking advantage of God's people who come with a genuine purpose of to find this, 
this to relate to God, to sacrifice to God, and, and they are uh, extorting them uh, for the purpose of gain. And so, uh, anyway, it's, it's a beautiful picture. Of, of, we, we focus on the discipline part of it, and it, and it is, uh, but, but discipline has to be understood in a love. It really needs to be like a parent. A good parent doesn't discipline their children just because they want to prove they're bigger or superior or better or whatever. You love that child. You see the danger of their behavior, and you know where that behavior will lead. It will lead to their own destruction. When you see behavior in a child that will lead to their own destruction, if you love them, you will discipline them to curb that behavior so that they do not continue on that path of destruction. And that is the way God loves us, and he's given us one another. So I always ask when we talk about somebody who's committed an offense, you know, who's the most grieved by it? Who is the one who is hurt the most, you know, and the one who doesn't want to say something to them because uh, that's usually the person who needs to be the one to approach them because obviously uh, because of their love for that person. It really needs to be done in a manner of love. move on to the question and answer segment of the podcast. Do we have a question and answer theme? Do you have a little jingle? You, you want to make one right now? Question Ta-da! <laughs> George didn't jump in there. I really thought, yeah, <laughs> I thought he had something. But anyway. By George, here's a question. Well, when Jesus is uh, casting out the demons and you know the disciples said, hey, why couldn't we cast that out? Uh, Jesus said, um, you don't have enough faith and these only come out with fasting and with prayer. Now, um, was he talking about the faith is only built from fasting and prayer or this specific type of demon only comes out with fasting and prayer? That's a tough one because I think in another a gospel, I think he does not include the fasting portion. Um, it's bracketed to... off in my section. Like some yeah. manuscripts have it, some don't. Right. Um, the um, uh, And I think... Uh, you know, you asked about over-spiritualizing some passages or whatever. I think this is a a passage where I think sometimes people tend to uh, make this out to be some type of, oh, when we are out demon casting, uh, uh, we, we, we need to have been fasting. And so they come up with rules for fasting and rules for prayer and so that we can fight these demons more effectively. I don't think that's where Jesus is, is heading with this. But really just to demonstrate to his disciples that, one, um, to point out that, uh, that his – Jesus can't say things um, that aren't true. I mean, that's obvious. But, but I mean, he, he's always got to he – he's not going to say things to buffer the disciples' feelings. He's not going to say things like, uh, you guys are great. <laughs> You're awesome. He's just, he's just saying what it is. And when, when you demonstrate faithlessness – he just points out what you're doing right now is demonstrating your faithlessness, demonstrating your inability to really understand who I am, what faith is about, this relationship you have. Um, they've come off this moment where they he has sent them out, and they've had this incredible uh, moment of revival. You know, they're out casting demons out, and people are you know lives are being changed and healed and so forth. And he sends them out the seventy out two by two and and so forth. So they come back with these amazing stories and this awesome stuff happening. And you can already sense that this there's a little bit of a pride that builds up in them as is kind of typical with the disciples. 
And here, then this moment comes and this guy comes and, uh, and they can't, their power's gone. You know, it's like, it's like our, our, our little, our basic things that we were using earlier, these aren't working. And, um, and I don't want to read too much into this, but it, it, to me, it's like this, uh, like when we get the, like when we get a certain prayer that we pray or a certain routine that we get and we had some results with it. And we, so we begin to become like, this is where the power is, is in this thing that I'm saying, or this prayer that I'm praying or this routine that we're going through. And so let's do it again and see this, you know, blah, you know, and then, uh, in Jesus name, I compel, you know, I compel you in the power of Jesus name, you know, but kind of, you know, be gone or whatever. Um, and we begin to think it's like uh, some type of incantation or something like that. Um, but the reality is, is that this power is it comes from God, and and so you are simply going to God and asking Him to uh, to do the thing that only God can do. Jesus is the one who has the ability to cast the demon out, you know, and yet they are trying to do it in and of their own strength. Um, and and so, as pride would have it, uh, they forget that the source. Once again, the source of their power is not in the words that they're saying, not in their own personal abilities, but in in Jesus Himself. All they have to do is ask Jesus to, to cast the demon out, and He's right there. Yet they don't turn to Him; they seek to do it on their own. And uh, and I think the prayer and fasting comment is is simply that uh, that this is just one that um you have to talk to me uh, you can't do the, you have to ask me to do it you can't do this in and of your own strength and um i, I don't want to take away the fasting because i think that in this particular text um it kind of fits there but the um uh the uh, i think to to understand that it really is a fasting is a I think a whole nother topic uh, that uh, there was a book that Richard Foster who was a Quaker wrote um, called Celebration of Discipline. I never really thought of fasting before then. Um, I, I like food. I don't know if you guys like food or not, but uh, fasting was one of those things that I had never done and thought um, maybe it was legalistic or something. Um, when you study John Wesley and his life, and John Wesley, an amazing man of God, uh, he incorporated fasting into his life weekly, um, and and so I thought, well, I'll try it. Let's see what let's see what this is all about. Um, it is uh, not for the purpose of losing weight, <laughs> uh, but to just simply say, I'm going to deny myself food. I really, you have to do it, I think, to really understand why this is important. Because when you deny yourself this very basic physical thing of eating, especially in our world, when you're driving through, you go one day without food, two days without food, three days without food. Uh, imagine Jesus went 40 days without food. Don't do that unless you consult your doctor. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, but say two days, three days fast, uh, three days of fasting. Um, you begin, all you can think about is food. And the idea is, is that you take that desire for food and you go back to God for the strength, the ability to do without this. So you are becoming reliant upon him. Jesus himself said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's like that it is not me needing the food. It is me understanding that my real sustenance comes from God himself. And so I began to turn to God uh, for strength and for power. And so that's, so that's, 
so when I'm in this, when I'm, when there's something that's very serious, I'm trying to make sure that I'm hearing God clearly, that I'm having nothing getting between me and God. I, I do without deny myself this food in order to show that I really want to focus upon God's power, not my own strength, not my own power, not my own ability, but relying upon his ability to sustain me, his ability to hear me, and, and to answer that prayer. Um, so uh, I, I don't think it's by accident that this is introduced here. I think it's that, um, uh, or it's just some aside, but rather that Jesus is, is clearly saying this um, this is something where you need to earnestly seek my attention, not something, not some trite thing that you just say or some halfway just make mention of it. Um, this is one of those that uh, you need to earnestly come to me and, and seek my face. So fasting can't be done quickly. Fasting cannot be done quickly. Okay. <laughs> That's right. You can't. Uh, oh, can't man. fast fast. Yes. You can't fast fast. Yeah, and, and just a little, uh, that's where the word breakfast comes from, because yeah. you break every morning, you break your fast from the day before. So. What about second breakfast? Second breakfast. Yes. Elevensies. <laughs> I don't think our listeners know about second breakfast. <laughs> I, I haven't had second breakfast, so it's going to be thinking about it now. <laughs> when Moses is going back to Pharaoh, he's going to meet his brother Aaron. He had forgotten to circumcise, can we say circumcision? Uh, one of his or his child, Gershom, and uh, the Lord is there to kill him. But how does his wife know what to do? Yeah. Like, you know, I, I'm so glad you asked that question because <laughs> that was one when I was reading through that passage. Um, this was uh, that was one of those. That is just one of those really those passages. You go, what is happening here? <laughs> you know, it's like we're on our way to see Aaron. The Lord stops us, confronts us, and he's going to kill Moses like like he's got Moses with a knife to his neck or whatever going, circumcise that boy or I'm going to kill the old man. You know, it's like, how does that, what does that look like? How does that play out? Um, in trying to examine the text and, and, and the, the thing in Exodus, in all the dealings of Moses and God, you have this, what's called uh, anthropomorphisms. You, you, you describe what God is doing in human terms because we don't have terms to really talk about God and and uh, and so and also we don't have the greater revelation of Christ so you you have to uh, we've already done he's already done this some in Genesis where you where you just give God human traits and describe them in human terms because how else do you describe what you're seeing and, and what's uh, what's taking place but uh, I would have to say and this is this is conjecture, and which is what you do on questions like this. Um, Moses is the one who knows that he needs to be circumcised. That Moses, to perhaps Moses is the one who is communicating to his wife that uh, if this doesn't take place, God is going to kill me. He has this revelation from God that he's going to lose his life. He is the one portraying this to his wife. I am going to die if. I do not, in obedience, have my son circumcised, and this need, what needs to happen. Why she does it, and Moses doesn't do it, is uh, don't, again, I'm really, I'm reaching here a little bit, but uh, show me some liberty here. But the uh, perhaps Moses is the one who is sick or dying uh, as a result of it, and he's communicating to his wife in his dying state. If you don't do this, that I'm going to die as a result yeah. of this, uh, and trying to. Because he's trying to get the picture, there's something that's happening to him that looks as if God is going to kill him. And so um, I believe then she does this, 
not too willingly <laughs> because she's angry about it, cuts the foreskin off and uh, throws it at Moses' feet and says that's where she calls him a man of blood because Moses is the one issuing this request. She doesn't curse God for it. Mm -hmm. She uh, attributes the blame to Moses. But that's that's the way I see it unfolding. Just, again, I think that when you are saying, like when we say the, use the expression, like, God told me this or God did this and so forth, in our minds, you know, it makes sense, you know. But if you're talking to somebody who doesn't understand God as we understand them, they're trying to get a mental picture of what does that look like It God told you? You know, when did you see God? Did he show up? Did he call you on the phone? Did he send you a text message? You know, how do you know it's God? That's the one I get more often. How do you know it's God? Um, and the one thing that's comforting, I guess, in all of it is that they do know it's God. There's never this, I think God told me to circumcise my son. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, nope, it was God, yeah. and this is what he said, and this is what we did. And I think, of course, this is all being written after the fact. There's nothing to make them doubt that. I think in the result that whatever was happening to Moses was alleviated. Um, and it appears that... Uh, and, and Bruce Wilkins wrote a book years ago called uh, Secrets of the Vine. And he said something that really was compelling to me. He said the difference between when God is disciplining us for something we're doing wrong and when he's pruning us, uh, he said it feels the same because it's pain being introduced into our life, one for the purpose of making us spiritually stronger and the other for the purpose of, of punishment as a result of sin. He said how you know the difference is when you stop sinning, the pain is removed. He says, if God comes and is, is bringing some form of discipline in your life and it initiates some type of pain as a result of your unrepentance, when you repent and it's removed, then you know that's what it was. Um, if it's not removed, then there's another reasoning behind it. Uh, and I thought that was just really, that was really poignant because uh, that has happened so many times in my life. I have had some type of misery introduced into my life that I wished if I wasn't dying, I wished I was dying. <laughs> I wish I would be dead because it was just so painful and so difficult. And I thought, I wonder if God is trying to tell me I need to stop this or change this or curb this or do this different, that he's disciplining me for somebody I didn't forgive, for somebody I needed to talk to or whatever. And so I, in order to get the misery to stop, I did it. And then the moment I did it, the misery was over. And then that was the affirmation. Oh, I guess that was God. I guess he was trying to say, I need to stop that because here's the result of it. And that's what I get from that passage. I get um, that uh, that Moses, Moses knew that uh, the boy needed to be circumcised and he communicated that with his wife. Well, thank you, George, for coming to uh, again for our podcast. Um, this was a great. This is a good week. I really enjoyed being here. So, yeah. yeah, George, it has been delightful. If you would like to get a head start on the reading, um, next week's reading is Exodus 15 through 29. It is Psalms 18 through 20. It is Proverbs 6:12 through 7:23, and it is Matthew 21 through 25. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast put on by First Baptist Church of Jackson. If you would like more information, you can find us online on our website at firstbaptistjackson.com. You can email us at daniel at firstbaptistjackson.tv. 
Or you can find us on social media, First Baptist Jackson on Facebook and FBCJMO on Instagram. We've got a lot of content in all of those places, and we would love to hear your questions on the content that we cover. If you would like to be a part of the podcast, you can email us and message us at any of those ways, or you can call the church office at 573-243-8415, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.